it rhymes, Andy Cammy. Okay. So uh, today is Christmas Eve, and you know I've been listening to a lot of Christmas music. Well, kind of. My kids want to listen to something else, but Val and I, we want to listen to Christmas music. And we noticed that a lot of the songs, except for that song that's about how last Christmas it gave me my heart, and the next day you gave it away. Other than that, most of the Christmas songs are really joyful, right? Happy stuff. Talks about how it's starting to feel like starting to look a lot like Christmas, and that's usually a good thing. Um, but I, I'm reminded of the contrast of how happy Christmas seems today and how Christmas was first originally, that's how the story was told. So I want to focus on this idea of the Christmas spirit. So the question today is this, is Christmas for those who don't feel the Christmas spirit, right? Because I know a lot of people, like especially around this time of year, people are like, yeah, you know, everybody, I'm supposed to be happy, I'm supposed to be jolly, I'm supposed to be in the Christmas spirit, but you know, this year is tough. Like this, this is my first year without somebody in my life, or this is my first year where I feel like I don't know what my future looks like. You know, and you're like, I'm not in that mood. And for that reason, I feel like I, I need to, I don't know, maybe I'm not supposed to go to these Christmas parties because I just don't feel the Christmas spirit, right? And so um, what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at the Christmas story as it's told in the Bible in the book of Luke. And as we look at it, I want to show you what it felt like to be in the first century, what it felt like, you know, what the first Christmas felt like. And I just want to not just tell the story, because you guys have probably heard the story many, many times, but this time I want to tell the story focusing on one character. And that character is Mary. Okay, because Mary, I think she had the worst first Christmas experience, and that worst Christmas experience lingered on for the rest of her life. So I want to share that with you. You know, like, aren't you glad you came today? All right, so we have a lot of verses to get through, so let's start with Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and the reflection of that light. Okay, there we go. Here, I'll stand right here. Okay, Um, from you, you can't see it, but from here, there's a big bright light on the screen. Okay, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married. And pledged to be married, if you're using like an older version of the Bible, the word here is betrothed. And we'll talk about that in a, a little bit later. To a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So here's our introduction to good old Mary. Okay, let's keep going. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. And that's like, if you're gonna be highly favored, and the person who's favoring you is like, you know, your, your highly favored status depends on the one that's favoring you, right? So in this case, it's like, who's the one that favors you, Barry? It's like God. Like, okay, that's really good. So he's like, hey, the greatest being of all time is favoring you. And he isn't, he's not just favoring you, he's highly favoring you. And he says, the Lord is with you. So Mary's like, oh, this, this is great. But that's not her first reaction, okay? Her first reaction is this. Mary was greatly troubled at this, at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. And by the way, every time you see an angel in the Bible, the first reaction is fear and trembling. And so if you go to angel school, probably the first, like always start off with, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, there's that word again, favor. Like, it seems like that's like the main thing in in ancient Jewish literature, and this is written in Greek, but it's written by a Jewish person. If it's repeated, that means that there's like an emphasis on it. So I just want to like just put a highlighter on it. You are favored, Mary. Okay, next verse. You will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and you are to call him Jesus. In case you're trying to figure out what names, I'll give you one. His name is Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And then he kind of goes into like some prophecy about what's going to happen to the Son. And then after hearing all this, Mary is like, wait a minute, let's go back to what you just said, because uh, I have a big question about that. And I love Mary is asking for like, she's asking clarifying questions. Her question is this. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Like, I know how this whole biology thing works, at least in the first century, as far as we know. We know this is how things work. And yeah, how is this going to happen? Because like I said, I am betrothed to Joseph. And he and I, well, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but we're not allowed to have contact with each other. Okay, it's a little different from engagement. We'll talk about that too. Okay, so the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, whatever that is like, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I mean, like, keep in mind, Mary doesn't have any prior stories or Bible stories to rely on to say, oh, this is just like what happened to so-and-so. Like, this is the first time this has ever happened, so she has no clue what this this is entailing. So the Holy One will be born, uh, wait, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Like, so, you are going to carry God's Son. Now, there's a lot of details in this story. I want to focus on one part of this story, which is here. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. What does it mean to be betrothed? Because in the first century, on the other side of the world, betrothed is not the same as we understand engagement. Some of you are actually engaged who are here. Congratulations. But this is not like that. So I'm going to give you like a little timeline of how this works. Okay, so here's the timeline. If you got betrothed here, okay, this is a timeline of Mary's life. For women back then, women usually got betrothed, and it's not like you started dating somebody, it's like, ooh, Joseph is kind of cool. You know, he's kind of cute. He has, like, you know, those beautiful eyes. No, it's not, it wasn't like that. It was more in terms of, like, Mary's parents, Joseph's parents, got together and realized it was beneficial for their kids to get married. And so they had dowries, and they had to figure out how the payment is, right? And they were betrothed. And when they get betrothed, usually the girl is about 12 to 13 years old. So, you know, all those... Portraits of Mary, you know, holding baby Jesus, and she's like in her mid-30s. No, 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 no. She's barely a teenager. The men, usually, in this case Joseph, is usually around 17 or 18. Okay, so have that in your mind when you imagine what's happening here. So two families come together. My teenage daughter, Mary, your almost adult son. We're going to work this out, right? So, so after they get betrothed, they eventually get married. Right? And this marriage period be- between betrothal and marriage, next slide, is usually about 12 to 18 months. And the rule here is this, okay? As far as their custom understands it, they are actually married, but they can't be together. So during this year to year and a half period, the girl is going to be mentored by her mother and she has to memorize certain psalms in the Bible because she's gonna be reciting those psalms to her kids as they're growing up. And the mother is also gonna teach her daughter how to care for children, how to care for her husband, you know, all the tools and, and skills that she might need in order to be a good wife in that culture. So I'm not too clear on what that entailed, but that's what I read. When it comes to the men, Usually, um, in this case, Joseph, he, he will be mentored by his father, and his father will teach him, here are some of the things you need to learn. These are some of the skills that you need if you're going to raise your family. This is how you provide for your family. 
right? And one of the other things they do, this is like a side note, not part of the Christmas story, but in the year to year and a half period, what they do is that the, the son, who, you know, the father and the son, the son goes to their house and then he starts building an additional room because that's where the family's gonna live. The, usually the bride will join the, the groom's family. And you know, they really don't know when the wedding ceremony is because whenever the son is finished building that room, additional room, They'll come in and the father will look around and say, yeah, that looks okay. Yeah, okay, I think you're good. And when the father gives the stamp of approval, that is when the wedding takes place. So Jesus uses imagery like this in the Bible. Like he says, like my father's house has many rooms. He was using marriage language there to let everybody know that, hey, you know, when Jesus and the church, you know, when we're wed together, I've been preparing a place for you. You know, and also Jesus says, you know, nobody knows the exact time or hour when I'm going to show up. That's also marriage language that he's using there. Anyways, that's not important to today's sermon. Okay, so after you get married, right? You, well, before you can't, you know, you can't touch, no, no contact. It's like you're married, but you know, you can't live together. But after the marriage, you get to consummate it. When Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel, it was somewhere in here. Now, like I said, in this culture, you're considered to be married at this point. So, if you were to die, if one of the two were to die at that point in this story, the other would be considered considered to be widowed. Even though they didn't really get married yet, they would be considered to be widowed. Um, the only way to break this contract is if one of them commits adultery. At that point, the other said, would say, I would, I'm going to divorce you, and then that other person will carry the scarlet letter for the rest of his or her life. So that is a system that Mary is in when this story takes place, okay? Uh, I hope that makes sense. Are you guys kind of feeling the world back then? Okay. If you commit adultery when you're in this point right here of the story, you are given a title. You and your Ill illegitimate son or daughter are called Mamzer, M-A-M-Z-E-R, Mamzer. It's basically a title that's given to people who basically broke this marriage covenant and has an illegitimate child. So Jesus, in this case, would have been called a mamzer. Mary would have been called a mamzer, okay? That's important to later in the story, okay. Um, by the way, because this whole thing happened, Mary's thinking like, so I'm gonna have a baby, not with Joseph, but with you? This is kind of weird. And she is probably going through all the scenarios in her mind. Like, what's gonna happen? What are the people around me gonna think? What are my parents gonna think? What is Joseph gonna think? Who would have a harder life if we were to get a divorce, Joseph or me? As a matter of fact, there's documents in history that shows us that to, even 200 years after the Jesus story takes place, there are people who are spreading rumors saying that, that Mary, there's no way that Mary could have been a have a virgin birth, right? Like, there's no way she could do that. And so their theory, their working theory, the very popular theory was that during this period, Mary became a prostitute and slept with a Roman guard. That was the, the, the theory back then, right? So this is the life that she's living. She's, like, people are speaking rumors around her, untrue rumors probably, right? And what is she supposed to do? I mean, just imagine, like, after the angel leaves, She's like, okay, well, remember, they lived in the same house. So she's like, goes over to the next room. Mom, dad, you're not gonna believe what just happened next, <laughs> in the next room over. Uh, it's like, yeah, we heard you talking to somebody. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was an angel. It's like, what? Were you afraid? It's like, well, he told me not to be afraid. Oh, okay, you know, and 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pregnant. I'm like, what? With Joseph? It's like, no, not Joseph. I mean, imagine that discussion. Or what if the discussion is with Joseph? Joseph, I'm expecting. Well, it's not me. I'm a good Jewish boy. There's no way that was from me. Like, well, I know it's not you. It's, it's God. I'm like, what? Like, how, how crazy would she sound, right? But here is Mary's, all this stuff is going through her mind, and she's thinking about all the possibilities of how this could turn out, and this is Mary's response. She says, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled, meaning as you want it to happen, let it happen. Can you imagine what was going through her mind? I'm sure there's like this scale in her head, like, okay, here are all the cons, and here are the pros, let's see, right? And she's like, I'm gonna go for it, I'm gonna go for it. And this became the most costly yes of Mary's life, and you're gonna see why. Because from this day on, it doesn't matter what the story was anymore. It doesn't matter what really happened. Because what only mattered at that point was what everybody else, everybody in society, how they viewed Mary. Because Mary knows what really happened, right? But everybody else is like, that's not, that can't be true. So I wanted to go over this, this society's view of what happened to Mary, okay? Because here, I wanna move the perspective from Mary to the people outside, right? First thing is this, the people of society label her mamzer. You had an affair, you have an illegitimate child. The second thing is that she, they're like, she's the girl that betrayed Joseph. He's that good Jewish boy over there, and I can't, he deserves better than Mary, right? And if you look at the Matthew version of the story, we find out that Joseph was so heartbroken that he was like, I think I'm gonna divorce her. And you know what, but I'm, I'm a good guy, so I'm not gonna divorce her in public, I'm gonna do it privately, quietly, so that she could have her dignity. He didn't change his mind until the same angel, Gabriel, showed up to him in his sleep to tell him, hey, make sure you marry Mary, right? So, I mean, if it wasn't for the angel, we don't know how it would have turned out. So, yeah. The third thing is that, like, by doing, going through with this, Mary is now dishonoring her own family, right? Not just, like, her parents, but also whatever family she has from this point on in her life, she's dishonored them, which doesn't seem fair to them, Right? By the way, do you guys know the part of the story where you know, they, have to go back to Naz- uh, they have to go back to Bethlehem for a census, back to the place where their, their hometown is? They go back to Joseph's hometown. When you go to a hometown, you would think there's a place for that person to stay. Why do these guys have to go to an inn? It's because Joseph's family probably distanced themselves because they're like, I can't believe, Joe, that you married this mamzer. Well, God told me to. I, I don't care. I just... We don't want you to give your cooties to us, so you don't get to stay with us. I know you travel a long way to get here, and your wife is pregnant, but you can't stay here with us. Ultimate dishonor. Whew. The costly yes of Mary, right? And this one, I don't know if you guys have really considered this, but in the story told in Matthew, um, about two years after Jesus is born, there's this, uh, uh, there's a king of Israel, his name is King Herod, and Herod finds out from these three, uh, these magis that travel in, like, hey, we've, we heard that there's a star of David and that there's, like, there's a king that was born, and he's like, but, but I'm king, 
what do you mean there was a king that was born? It's like, yeah, we're here to offer offerings and gifts. What, can you tell us, point the way to where this king that was born two years ago? And he's like, ah, yeah, tell me when you find out where he is so I could also worship him. You know, like <laughs> jealousy, obviously. Um, and then, so after he found out that Jesus was born in Bethlehem two years ago, he goes to Bethlehem and murders every child under the age of two. So in other words, um, this is weighing on Mary's conscience that she might be responsible for the deaths of many babies. Or if she doesn't feel it, at least society thinks, look at what you brought to this town. What's going through Mary's mind? She's probably thinking back to that conversation that she had with Gabriel, right? She's like, wait a minute, okay, 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 wait. I'm pretty sure he told me this, that, he, that I am highly favored, right? Okay, so this, okay, don't let this, I'm not gonna let this, you know, hold me down. I'm gonna shake it off, shake it off, hoo, hoo, hoo. I'm just gonna, you know, do a Taylor Swift thing. I'm just, I'm just gonna go, right? But then, you know, she's feeling like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, pump myself up and I'm gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna do this, I, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, 13 years old, maybe 14 by now. I, I could get through this. I could get through this, right? Now, it was Jewish custom back then that when the baby is born, within the first week or two, you have to take the baby to the temple to get him uh, um, dedicated. And so he, Mary, Joseph, and the baby, they go to the temple, and they're taking the baby Jesus to get him dedicated, and all of a sudden, he meets, they meet this guy named Simeon. And Simeon's like, it's you! And basically... Simeon, his backstory is that God told him there was a prophecy that said that, hey, you're going to see the Son of God, the Messiah, before you die. And he's an old guy now. This is how that scene goes. Simeon took him, Jesus, in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Like, I can finally die now that I met him. Keep going. Let's keep going. Which is a sad way to... Greet somebody. Uh, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to, gen- to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Like, man, this guy, this baby right here is not just for us, also for the people who are not like us, people who are not Jews. This is great, right? And then he said, this, like, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Like, our child, really? This is great. Mary's probably feeling like, Yes, like finally, like affirmation, finally, right? And so at that point, Simeon's like, yes, I want to bless you. So next verse. So then Simeon blessed them, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And then he turned to Mary, specifically just to Mary, his mother, and this is what he said. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. He's basically saying, Mary, I need to tell you something. Your son, your oldest son, is gonna cause things to fall apart, things that shouldn't be here. Oh, somebody's calling me. Okay. And he's also gonna cause, he's gonna cause certain things to fall apart. He's also gonna cause certain things to rise, right? So things, like in your future, I see destruction and rebuilding. That's what he's saying. And then, this is what he says. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And the word pierce here, by the way, this is written originally in Greek, it's translated to English. This is not a poke. It's not like, this is a deep stab. It's saying your soul is gonna break because of this kid. What is Mary thinking? 
Mary's probably thinking, but, 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 I'm highly favored. Is this what it looks like to be highly favored? Are you sure? Now, going back to just like a, um, oh, so going forward about like 12 years, Jesus is a 12-year-old now, and they're on their way to the temple because that's what they do when they're 12 years old. And they, they do this every year, but this time was a special year because Jesus is 12. And this is an interesting story that happens. Like Luke records for us this interesting story. Here we go. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. This is what they always did. Now, back in those days, you don't just pack everybody in a van and then drive over to the temple. Like You have to walk there. And it was dangerous walking by yourselves or a family of whatever. So you always found other families to go with. So it sounds like Mary found some friends and family who were willing to travel with them, okay? After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Jesus is like, okay, I'll see you later, mom and dad. And mom and dad's like, okay, well, let's go home, family, and forgot Jesus behind. Thinking, next verse, thinking he was in their company, because remember, there's a lot of people, they traveled on for a day. Keep that in mind, a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, like, Mary, uh, where's Jesus? I thought, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. Well, maybe he's with all the kids in the caravan. Nope. Oh, no. I mean, imagine the conversation they had. Joseph, I think we lost the savior of the world. (laughs) Right? So they start looking for him. And three days, so three days. So how many days has it been since Jesus has not been in their presence? Four days. So three days, Later, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And they're like, wait a minute, Jesus, where were you this whole time? Like, what did you eat? Like, did you stay with somebody for four days? Like, how did you do this? Like, it took a day to come that far, a day to come back. So they were in the temple looking for him for two full days. And then they found him, right? And then it kind of gives you this feeling of what they felt. Here we go, next verse. His mother said to him, now listen to the language here, son, which is a language of parent to child, right? Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I, again, parental language, have been anxiously searching for you. The word anxious here doesn't do it justice because it's like, what you think of anxiety, 10 times worse, okay? That's this. And so he's like, remember, we're your parents. You do what we tell you to do. We were worried sick. Jesus' response. Why were you searching for me, he asked, Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Remember, he used words like Mary and Joseph when they were talking to Jesus. He was using words like son, father and I, you know, that kind of word, right? But Jesus' response is, well, have you forgotten Mary 12 years ago? The angel said that I'm not really your kid. I'm actually God's kid. Like, he's kind of separating himself. And Mary's like, Okay, let's just go home. Imagine the conversation and the thoughts that are going through Mary's head on the way back. I almost lost the son of God. And he was my oldest child. I, he's trying to like, keep it cool, Mary. Keep it cool. Keep it cool. What's going through her mind? She's telling herself over and over again, I'm highly favored. I'm highly favored. I'm highly favored. I'm highly favored. Now, we're going to skip 18 years from now. Jesus is about 30 years old. And in this culture, 
the woman's value was always attached to the husband. And if you don't have a husband, then you were left by yourself or you were under the care of your father, but when your father passed away, you really had no future. That's why it was so important for women to get married in that day and age. But if your husband passed away, you're completely dependent on your oldest son. In this case, by the way, in that story you just read right now, that is the last time we hear about Joseph. So scholars think that at this point, somewhere between when he was 12 and 30, Joseph passed away. Now Mary is completely dependent on Jesus to have any worth in society. That's the situation here. Okay, so here's a story of one of the weird interactions between Mary and Jesus. So Jesus is like a traveling preacher now, and he came back home to Nazareth one day. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, that's what this is, his hometown, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue and was in, it was just like his custom. Every Saturday he's in town, he went to church or synagogue, okay? So he stood up to read. There's a scroll. Every week there's like a different scroll that they read. And the scroll, uh, um, and the scroll of the prophets, Isaiah, was handed to him because that was that week to read Isaiah. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and then he starts reading the book of Isaiah. And basically, he reads this passage about how there's really good stuff that's about to happen. After he finished re- reading it, Jesus closes the scroll and says, by the way, that good stuff that's going to happen is me. And everyone's like, what, what, what's going on with this guy, right? We saw him grow up. He's, who does he think he is? And then he tells like these two Old Testament stories, and these stories, basically, the gist of it is, hey, you know, God loves the Jews, but God is now going to be blessing the people who are outside of your circle, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, and everybody gets furious. They think that Jesus is preaching heresy at this point, right? So this is the reaction of the people in this town that he grew up with. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. It's like, Jesus, that was a bad sermon, right? Now, I've preached a lot of bad sermons, like, but the reaction does not match how you guys react to my bad sermons. Check out what happens. He says, they got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. I'm glad you guys don't do that because you're like, there's no cliff here. So you're like, yes. Okay. The intention here is to kill Jesus because he's a false prophet. If they threw him off the cliff and he survived, they would pick up stones and throw stones at him until he was dead. Okay, so, and by the way, the people who are throwing stones at Jesus are the very people who grew up with him. The guy down the street, his neighbor, his friend that he went to school with, these are the people who are throwing stones at Jesus. It must have been a really bad sermon, right? But Jesus, we didn't know this, but Jesus has some ninja moves because this is what he does next. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Okay, Let's consider what's happening here. This is Jesus' hometown. Who lives in his hometown? His family. That means Mary is there, right? And so if Jesus somehow evaded all the the riot that was happening in Nazareth, he, he left town, who was still there? Mary. Who went to synagogue next, next Saturday? Mary. He's, she's worshiping the very people who try to kill her son. Like Imagine if you're sitting next to her during service, it's like, oh, oh, hey, good morning, Mary. And she's like, you tried to kill my son last week. <laughs> I don't know, I had a pretty awkward conversation, right? Jesus creates this chaos in his town. He leaves, and Mary has to deal with it. I mean, imagine that, right? So what is Mary thinking at this point in the story? She's like, I'm supposed to be highly favored, right? Oh, maybe, maybe you misheard him. Maybe he, I'm not highly favored. Maybe I'm just, you know, favored, 
Maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe when Gabriel said you're highly favored, maybe he misspoke, or maybe I misheard him, you know? Maybe that's not what he meant. Now, a year and a half to two years passes from this story, and now Jesus is walking around Nazareth again. Mary hears that her, his son, her son is somewhere in the vicinity, so she picks up her other sons and daughters, because with Joseph, she had other kids, you know? And they're like, hey, let's go visit your, your brother. Let's go. So, you know, they're like, okay, let's go. I heard he's in that house over there. He's walking towards the house. They're walking towards the house, and they see this crowd around this house, and like, we can't get in. Hey, maybe we could use the, hey, I'm Jesus' mom card, and, you know, get to the front of the line, right? So, uh, oh, by the way, this story is told in three of the four biographies of Jesus. This is told in Mark, Matthew, and in Luke. And in the other translations, it even mentions that maybe the reason why this family went to see Jesus is because they were convinced that Jesus was crazy, that he was mad, and we need to bring him home right now because that's the reputation that Jesus had and the reputation that Mary had, the mother of a crazy person. So this is how that story goes. Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. So someone told her, told him, Jesus, hey, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. We haven't seen him in a while. It's been like a year and a half. Like, hey, you know, maybe he'll give us a hug or something, right? Maybe we'll get special access to him. Jesus' response, he replied, my mother and my brothers, who are they? Well, they're those, those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, Jesus is doing his Jesus-y thing here. He's doing the Jedi master thing. You're like, Yoda, I don't know what you said, but it sounds very wise, right? But from the perspective of his mother, it's like, what do you mean who are my brothers and my mother? Like, what do you mean that your mother is whoever does the will of God? I gave birth to you. <laughs> like, what do you mean, right? It's like this, she's like, why are you pushing us away? Remember, Mary's worth right now is connected to Jesus. And the further Jesus pushes her away, the closer she is to having no worth in society. And when she has no worth in society, the only way she can make a living is by becoming a prostitute. So Mary is like, you're my only hope, Jesus. Joseph passed away. I need you in my life. Stop acting crazy. Stop pushing us away. What is going through her mind? Maybe she's doubting what Gabriel told her. Maybe she's asking, am I favored at all? Is this what it looks like to be favored by God? Are you sure? Now, a few weeks or months later, she hears she's at Passover. So during Passover, all the Jews go to, to the temple in Jerusalem. And she's doing her own thing. And then she hears a rumor. Hey, I heard Jesus just got arrested. Is he hanging on the cross outside? Is he there now? It's like, well, no, he's actually under trial right now, but he's going to be hung on the cross if the trial doesn't go well in his favor. And so there's a big crowd, and you see Jesus all bloody. He has a crown of thorns. He's standing before a huge crowd of people. We don't know if Mary was in that crowd, but it would have made a difference because Mary could have shouted, no, no, but everybody else's voice would have overwhelmed her. And eventually, they give him a cross, and he had to drag it all the way through Jerusalem, and they crucify him on the cross. And somehow, Mary had access to the front of the crowd where Jesus was being crucified. And this is how that story goes. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, Mary. And as she looks up, her eyes just wells up with tears. 
And she's, she's like, my heart, I just feel like it's being pierced. And she looks up, and then she hears Jesus say something really quietly. He could barely put words together, but this is what Jesus says. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they, the guards, soaked up a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. What's going through Mary's mind right now? She's probably thinking of the days that he nursed Jesus when he was a baby. Or maybe she thought about the days that she had to walk all the way to the well in the middle of the day because she had a bad reputation, so she had to go to the well when nobody else was there, draw some water, and walk it all the way back just so that Jesus could have some water when he was a kid. I don't know what memories were going through her mind at this time, but it wasn't good. And then it says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. This is it. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And Mary's probably thinking, 33 years ago, my life became a living hell because of this guy. But I love him because I'm his mother. Simeon was right. My soul does feel like it's been stabbed over and over and over again. What was she thinking? She was probably thinking, maybe I am not highly favored. Not to mention the fact that if you're a Jewish person, remember society's view? If you're a Jewish person looking at the situation, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, it says that if anybody is hanging from a tree or a piece of wood, and the Hebrew word for tree and wood is the same, Jesus hanging from a cross is an indication that you are cursed. And by extension, because Mary's worth comes from her oldest son, she is also cursed. And at this point, Mary is probably about 43 to 45 years old. So about my age. Now, a lot of you have know how the story ends. Mary doesn't know at this point. Mary is like thinking, this is it. Jesus said it's done. He's cursed. They took his body down. They stabbed him, right? And then they put him in a grave. This is it. It wasn't worth it. If this is what it means to be highly favored, it wasn't worth it. I gave up my life for nothing. But we all know, because we have the we have hindsight, right? That he resurrects on the third day, and the church begins, and Mary's included on that, and people take good care of her, and she sees the world change right before her eyes. So we know that ends well. But okay, I gave you all this information about Mary, but today's sermon is not about Mary. It's not about Mary. It's about Christmas, and I want to show you how all those Thoughts connect with each other. Let's look at society's view of Mary again because it's important to know how people saw her, okay? First, she was labeled a mamzer, right? Because, like the scarlet letter that she wore, um, she's the mother of an illegitimate child and she was accused of being a prostitute to the Romans, right? That's the reputation, that's how society saw her. Um, another thing is that she's responsible for the deaths of maybe many babies, one and two years old. Um, she, shamed, she was shamed in her own hometown, and maybe even brought shame to, her, to the hometown that she was living in. Because Joseph is gone, and now that Jesus is gone, she is considered to be worthless. Somebody living in her village would be looking at her and saying, you have no worth now. And finally, because of her son's death, she thinks that the people in the society thinks that she is cursed. In other words, Mary was seen as 
An adulterous, cursed, worthless, disgraceful, abandoned, shameful 45-year-old mother of a false prophet. If you ask any Jew, they would say, hmm, do you think Mary, you know, God favored her? Do you think God was with her? Their answer would be very clear. They would say, no, God is not with her. Even if you ask a Roman, say, hey, I know you don't believe in our God and everything, but if you did, would you think that this description, do you think that God is with her? They'd be like, if I'm in your shoes, no, I don't think that God is with her at all. And the reason why I bring this up is because this story began on Christmas, the first Christmas, filled with bad news. And maybe you're in that situation tonight, right? I'm not feeling the Christmas spirit. I experienced a death. I experienced a breakup. I lost my job. I can't afford to live where I'm living right now. Something is wrong with me. I have bad health news. Whatever it might be, you might think, God is not with me. I'm not feeling the Christmas spirit right now. But what I want to do right now is I want to, rem- I want to go back to how the whole story started. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 1. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And then the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. An angel is a messenger of God. That's his job, it's just to say whatever God said. God has infinite perspective. He knows how the story's gonna end. Knowing that the next 30 plus years of Mary's life is gonna be basically crap, right? He looks at that and says, you are highly favored. And in case, Mary, you forget because you might go through some things that make you doubt the fact that God is highly favoring you, I wanna tell you one more thing, and he says this, the Lord is with you. Don't believe anybody who would say that God is not with you. Just because bad things happen to you, because you may, maybe people accuse you of making bad decisions, it doesn't disqualify you from God being with you. God is always with you no matter what. In God's perfect foresight, he says, I know how society is going to look at you. God is still with you. And so, this is the takeaway today. Contrary to our assumptions, because we have a lot of assumptions, right? When we talk, when we say like, hey, there's a person who is, fill in the blank, um, homeless. You might say, oh, God is not with that person. You look at a person who is hated by everybody, oh, God is not with that person. Maybe somebody who has a different political opinion than you, oh, God is not with that person. Contrary to our assumptions, because we all like to think that God is only on our side, right? Um, Christmas is the celebration and reminder that God is with Well, let's review. God is with the outcasts. God is with the lonely. Maybe you feel alone this Christmas. God is with you. Maybe you're experiencing some grief. God is with you if you're grieving. Your loss is not an indication that God is not with you. Christmas is a celebration and reminder of that. It's a reminder that God is with the cursed. Bad things keep happening over and over and over again. God, how could you let me do this? Have you left me? I'm still there with you. 
I believe this is why God gave us this story of Mary. It's because Mary was the least likely candidate in that society to say that God was with her. And God says, no, she is highly favored. God is with her, right? God is with those we believe to be abandoned by God. If there's ever been a time when you felt like God is not with me, he says, no, I'm with you. And Christmas is the proof that I'm right there with you because God is with you. God is with you. And not only that, you are highly favored. He loves you so much. So let's go back to the first question. Is Christmas for those who don't feel the Christmas spirit? Absolutely. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.